Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Wednesday morning, June 28th, 2023. It is the Beating the Book podcast, MLB Q2 derivative show, all from a betting perspective. It's Gil Alexander. This is the longest running thing that I believe we have done on this podcast and on the Betting Dork podcast before that. The Megapod might have something to say about that. But if it's not the Megapod, it is this, where Mark Borchard, base winner, joins me to do quarterly derivatives betting outlooks in Major League Baseball. Mark joins us now from an undisclosed location somewhere in the desert. Base Winner Podcast, BaseWinner.com, at BaseWinner on Twitter. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing good, and I, I think that I will hold to this, that I was your first guest on your podcast. You were. And it's a and it's an honor. It really is. You, you've done so good. And, and I call you the voice of sports betting. And I know sometimes <laughs> I say it tongue in cheek, but I, re- I really mean it because because I think you are the voice of sports betting and, and you've done such a good job and uh, not just analyzing games on a daily basis and doing a daily show, but being an ambassador for sports betting. Oh, and it's gone a long nice. way since and it's gone a long way since we started. I mean, it makes yes. you feel a little bit old in a way, but dude, we this is doing it. Yeah, we met in a forum. And we were scolded for contacting outside of the forum or something like that. But I knew, I knew immediately, I was like, oh, this is my kind of guy. Nerd fest in baseball. And I remember. It was great. And, and, and I was great. And I'll never forget the, the metrics that we made up watching spring training baseball. Yes. That's classic yes. to me. We are, we are, we're complete dorks. We would go to spring training together in Arizona. And we would make up metrics in the stands because something's wrong with us. Do you remember the, the greatest metric we made up, though? We should probably bring this up. Oh, I th- I think it was the the long leash, yes. cool M L cool M, and I I really think that I can make that into a metric now because I was thinking about the other day, Gil. It had to do with managers and their quick or slow hooks on pitchers. So it was long leash, cool manager, right? And we named LL Cool M or something like that. Really hasn't yeah, caught cool on quite M. yet, but we, we got to work on. Well, that. I have I haven't developed it yet, but it actually makes sense because some of these guys, you know, the way they balance the bullpen. I mean, Really makes a difference uh, towards the towards the later part of those games, but that that's in development, along with the G six <laughs> model that I'm going to make for you with six inputs. Oh, nice! I like it. Uh, Mark always struggling with putting more Giants magic into his model. One day he will get it perfected as the Giants win their tenth straight road game last night. Giants two and a half out of the uh, NL West. For those who are uh, unfamiliar with what we do here. So this is essentially, so we're, we're essentially at the halfway point of the major league baseball season. A couple teams have gotten to the halfway point. The other 28 are about to, they're just a game or two shy. And so what we do every quarter, roughly 40, 81, 120 games is we go back and we look at a bunch of betting stats, both from a, you know, very widely available money line and run line perspective on teams, starting pitchers who would have made you the most money, who would have cost you the most. We talk about umpires who are the most reliable over umpires, the most reliable under umpires. Mark is invaluable to that because he actually has historical umpire data to corroborate if this is just a, uh, you know, sort of flash in the pan thing for half a season, or if this is actually consistent with how these umpires have been. And then it gets a little more proprietary. We do first five inning stats, and we do first inning stats for pitchers. And the whole exercise is really designed to come up with, okay, is this just something that we've, you know, just happened for half a season and it's more narrative and fun to talk about? 
or is it legit predictive of what's to come? And so will it help us, you know, in, it will help inform baseball bets both day to day and long term into the future. And we've had a, we've had a ball doing this for so many years. And Mark, let's start at the very top, which is the biggest money line winners in terms of baseball clubs for betters this season. And who do you have per your numbers? I will rely on covers for these covers.com. Who do you have as your top three baseball teams that again, the bizarro exercise, let's say you bet on this team every single game thus far this season when they were a favorite, let's say you bet on them every single game when they were an underdog. So it is bizarro. No one actually does this this way, but if you did, this would be the the biggest grocers for betters. Who do you have, Mark? I've got Baltimore, Arizona, and Miami in that order. Yeah, and Covers has Arizona now today, just a tick above Baltimore. Both would have earned you more than 14 units. Again, bizarro exercise, betting them every single day, whether they're a favorite or an underdog. They have Cincinnati third and Miami fourth. By the way, the Giants would be fifth. Those are the five teams that have would have earned you double-digit units this season. And that's, you and I talked about this when we did this on a numbers game yesterday on VEASAN. Usually we have a surprise. These are like textbook five overachieving teams, right? Yeah, you would think. The only one that to me is is kind of in that mix in the top 10, and I think I have them like sixth or seventh, are the Braves. Because right. you just, you're just laying so much sauce with that team, you would think that that would, that would get you, but they, they've just been so good. That team is so some guilt. Wow. The, the hitting and oh, the, the relief pitching is good, but the, the, the lineup is, is amazing. And Acuna at the top is just amazing. But yes, to Mark's point, Texas, another overachiever, overachiever based on what their preflop consensus season win total was at six. But yes, then it is Atlanta and Tampa Bay. And think about what Mark just said, which is those teams are laying wood more often than not, but they're so good or have been so good that even if you bet them, you know, just brain dead wise, every single game, you would still be, you know, in the money with both of those teams. Um, Not as sexy as the other ones we mentioned, but still in the money. And really when it gets down to it, it's not like half the teams put you in the money. It's a little less than half that would actually have you if you blindly bet them every day. At the bottom, it's sort of the opposite of we just what we just talked about with Atlanta and Tampa Bay. Kansas City and Oakland have been so bad that even though they're only, you know, dogs each and every single night seemingly, and really not even seemingly they are, they're the biggest hemorrhagers for better. So if you had bet Kansas City or Oakland every single game this year on the money line, and by the way, if you're doing that, you're not doing this right. Let me just point that out. You're not doing it right. Uh, but Kansas City would have you down almost twenty, almost 24 and a half units, and Oakland would be down 22 units. Goodness, man. Mets, Cardinals, Padres after that. Those come into the, the sort of way underachieving based on expectation. Similar to what you have? Well, yeah, I've got Cardinals, worst, Royals, uh, A's, and Mets in that order. And the Cardinals are just really, I mean, I missed with the Cardinals. I thought that they'd be right at the top. And, and I think that even like if you were to come to me and say, if you look at their, um, their XFIP minus year to date, it's 99, which I would have taken that like as a, you know, collectively as a team, I'd have been like, yeah, okay, well they're average pitching, but they can really bash. And they haven't been able to put the numbers up that, that I projected, uh, although they're 7% better than average. So uh, th- what's interesting is they're fielding. They've, they've 26 runs that they have not saved. So they've, they've allowed extra runs, uh, you know, defensive runs saved, and you would consider them a good defensive team. But uh, that Cardinals team just perplexes me, Gil. It always, for the last three years, I, I, was, I was bearish on them when they were good. Now I'm bullish on them when they're bad. That's not a good thing. Here, and here's the question. So of, of the ones that we mentioned on the top and we ones that mentioned on the bottom, which, I mean, how many of those are, do you think are outliers and won't be sustainable? Because to me, like, I really feel like Arizona, Baltimore, Cincinnati, and Miami, and San Francisco, and Texas are actually good baseball teams. But which, which of the good do you think, yeah, I don't see it continuing. Which of the bad, on the other hand? Because you've said it with Oakland, you actually think they'll be better. Yeah, I think Oakland will be better. I, I think Miami, uh, you know, it's 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 an interesting team because you look at them uh, profit-wise uh, straight up, and they're, you know, I have them at 12.6 units, but if you look at them versus the run line, 
they're they're not as good. So that means that uh, in fact, I think I'm showing a negative number for them, Gil, on on the run line. So that means that they're they're getting a lot of luck in in the in the um, uh, one run games. And so I I think that you know. I know Jason was really down on Miami earlier and, and my numbers for their offense were, were low on them too. So I think that that's the team maybe that's going to slide is, is that Miami team Gil? Okay. And Oakland would be the answer to the bottom where you'd be like, yeah, they'll be better. Like your adjusted season so win, is your adjusted season win total is higher than their current adjusted season win total. Yeah, I've got them. Let's see. Let me see if I can pull that. Look at that real fast. Yeah. They, they were yesterday, 48.5 uh, wins uh, over under at Caesars. So that's our season win total. And I've got them at 54.4. So yeah. Okay. All quite, right. Quite a bit. Uh, so don't and, be, and it, yeah. Yeah. Don't necessarily fade them as rampantly as you might think, by the way, if we broke down the money line numbers into home roads, uh, Arizona is actually the number one away team on the money line. If you would bet them every single game, uh, favorite or dog on the road, they'd have you up almost 12 units. Baltimore also would be number two on the road. They'd have you up over 10 units. So most of the the units that the number one and two overall money line teams have gotten you have been as road teams. Cincinnati also third best on the road, so it's consistent. So who is the best at home? It's actually Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay at home, they'd have you up over 10 units, almost 10 and a half. They're actually a losing proposition if you would bet them every single game on the road. And as far as the... Uh, Oh, by the way, one other weird outlier, the biggest difference between a home and road split in terms of money line, Washington, the Nationals would have you down almost nine units, betting them blindly at home and up almost 11 units on the road. That's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, I, I I think I've only played the Nationals once this year. That was two nights ago and they lost. I was going to say, yeah. I haven't played them barely at all, if, if at all. Um, in terms of, yeah, the, I mean, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's hard to get a, I mean, to get a good position on them and that the, the starting pitching is, is worst in baseball for me. And, and so it starts there. And so that's why I haven't really been able to, to back them at all this year. Gil. Yeah. Mets are the worst on the road, by the way, they're the third worst overall in the money line, but they're the worst on the road. Uh, most of their losses is, is away from uh city field, Oakland, no, no, pardon me. Kansas City, by far the worst team at home. Uh, almost 18 of their 25 units have been lost as a home team. By the way, run line, best run line team. Now, this is, of course, as a favorite, you're a one and a half run favorite. As a dog, you're a plus one and a half uh, run proposition. So when you're winning, you're winning big. When you're losing, sometimes uh, if you can keep it within, you know, to a one score game, you become the best run line team in all of baseball or you're just crushing teams on a nightly basis. The number one run line team, a de facto power ranking, if you will, Mark, who do you have as the number one uh, run line team? Uh, are you talking about at home or are you talking about just overall? overall? We're not going to do splits on run line, just overall. Okay. Uh, overall uh, run line team, I have Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore. Oh, just, just nipping Cincinnati. Both Baltimore and Cincinnati, the best run line teams in baseball, according to covers, over 18 units strong. And Arizona would be third. So it's really the usual. Oh, no, pardon me. Texas would actually be third. Arizona would be fourth in terms of covers numbers. I'm curious to to know where the Yankees fall in for you on that. The Yankees would be, excellent question, in terms of the run line. They're actually the seventh best. Isn't that, isn't that wild? I'm looking at these things going, yeah. wow, Yankees are there. So that's a weird one. So I guess when they win, they crush or they lose a lot of, I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't remember what their one run record is offhand, but they, you'd be up 6.5 units on the Yankees betting on the run line. By the way, the nationals would be eighth on the run line at 5.5 units to the positive. So there, there is a few surprises in that regard. And by the way, yeah, the, that's yeah. that Yankees one surprising to me. The worst on the run line, again, the Royals. You'd be down 29 units betting them. So, like, when they lose, they don't even keep it close. And, again, if you're betting the Royals on the run line every single day, you're doing this all wrong. But, anyway, that's, that's just an interesting sort of overview of, the, of that. In terms of starting pitchers, now, this has to do with, you know, when these guys take the hill, what is their team's ultimate win-loss record? Now, again, is this sustainable? Is this predictive in any way? You be the judge. I'll get Mark's opinions. Dean Kramer of the Orioles, the Orioles are 11 and five when he takes the hill this year. Boyd of the Tigers, the Tigers are nine and six when he takes the hill. Henry of Arizona, Tommy Henry, they're nine and two are the Diamondbacks when he takes the hill. 
Those are the three most profitable pitchers in all of baseball. Like Spencer Strider, who I think should be the NL Cy Young Award winner at this point. Others would disagree. Just by contrast, he's sixth, right? Even though the Braves are 14-2 and two when he takes the hill. But in terms of money, because remember a lot of these guys that I just mentioned, Kramer, Boyd, and Henry, when their teams, Baltimore, Detroit, and Arizona, are playing, they're getting plus money. So from a money perspective, they're one, two, three. Are any of those three guys sustainable on this, do you think? I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I, like I said yesterday, you know, Kramer was, was good on Seinfeld, but I, I don't really see him as a, <laughs> as a high level, as a high level, uh, major league pitcher. Uh, and neither, neither Henry, I, I think that, uh, you know, the diamondbacks are going to have to get an extra pitcher, I think to, to be competitive, uh, in the playoffs. Uh, I don't think they can just do it with, with gallon and, and, uh, yeah. Kelly. Bottom, yeah. By the way, the bottom of that starting pitcher, money-wise, there's 184 starting pitchers that qualify. No surprise, Jordan Lyles of the Royals. The Royals just won their first game with him as a starter, so they're now 1-15. in 15. He'd have cost you 13 units, almost 13 units, if you had bet Jordan Lyles games for the Royals blindly. And again, God help you if you are. Uh, Schmidt of the Yankees is second worst, nine units to the in the red, if you had bet him blindly, because the Yankees are 4-12 and 12 with him on the hill. And then some familiar names, Zach Greinke, Jamison Tyon of the Cubs, and Jordan Montgomery, 3-4-5. By the way, Blake Snell's seventh of the Padres, and he's pitching great. They're also on the worst list. Blake Snell is the most unsustainable of that. In other words, he's going to completely reverse, you would say? I think so. You know, I, I like Montgomery and Tyon. I have them better than an average pitcher. So I, I think that, you know, there, there's, there, there might be some, uh, some one run stuff in there too, uh, for Montgomery. And, uh, but I, I think that the Tyon and Montgomery are, are, are better than average major league pitchers, Gil. Okay. Let's get to the umpires. Cause this is, this is great to have you on with this. So again, I'm getting these from covers.com. Mark has his own proprietary numbers. So these are umpires, and again, you can see umpire assignments at a site like StatFox. What was the uh, Twitter handle that you recommend for umpire uh, listings? It's at umpirecrew. At umpirecrew. Umpirecrew is the Twitter handle. They have umpire assignments, and as you were saying, you can find those assignments there, or you figure out just who's who's the home plate umpire one night, and then you just do the rotation of the crew? Yeah, that's that's for for any game that's like second, third, or any game other than the first game in the series, uh, you just, the first base umpire, then the next night that, you know, let's say tonight, the first base umpire, and then tomorrow he'll be the home plate umpire. So it rotates. Uh, I guess that would be counter. No, that'd be clockwise. Uh, if you looked at the diamond, so first base goes to home plate next day. Okay. Um, so the most reliable over umpires thus far in major league baseball this season um, Nate Tomlinson, eight of the nine games, at least according to covers, eight of the nine games that he's been behind home plate have gone over Mike Estabrook, 10 of 13. I believe it says here, Jordan Baker, eight of 11, Alfonso Marquez, nine of 12 to the over and Chad Whitson, seven of 12 to the over. Those are the most reliable over umpires in all of baseball thus far this year. So in other words, maybe their strike zone is the size of a thimble and the guys are just able to hack away or take their base. Do any of those names jibe with your historical numbers as being reliably over umpires? Yeah. Marquez has been consistently over and kind of my, the methodology on this is I took the last four years. So um, from six twenty six of 2019 till now, and, and, and Marquez has like 112 games. And then I, I used a walk percentage uh, and a strikeout percentage. Uh, to come up with like a projected ERA. And and basically long story short is he, in games that he umpires, I have my total projection 8% greater than it would, would be uh, normally. So, and it makes a difference, Gail. I mean, if you're looking at a projected total of nine and it's 8% uh, greater than it should be, and I'm going to challenge my math skills here, it'd be, it'd be 0.72 runs uh, greater. So that, that could make the difference between making an overplay or not making an overplay. 100% it could. Absolutely. And so again, just be cognizant of that, that if you, you know, let's say you have a lean on a game to the over to the under, but then you see the home plate umpire is going to be someone who is, you know, consistently the opposite of what your handicap is. Maybe, 
Maybe you don't switch your bed. Maybe at least it takes you off the bed, gives you enough enough pause for that. By the way, the opposite. That's such a good point. Well, I, just yeah. wanted to, I just wanted to touch on that because I just have a practical example of, of what Please. happened to me on Monday night. So it's the first game of the series in the White Sox-Angels game. And my model projected over pretty sizably, but by about a run. So say so I'm going to, I'm going to play. I know, I don't know who the umpire is, but I'm going to play the over. Well, the umpire turned out to be Bill Miller. Bill Miller is my <laughs> biggest under umpire and the game went under. And like, if you watch the game, like, you know, why Bill Miller is an under umpire because he was just calling balls outside of the strike zone. So it oh, could bite you brutal. in the butt if you don't do it. And it did bite me in the butt too. So uh, I usually don't make a play on the first game in the series only because I don't know who the umpire is, but I, I couldn't resist on that one. It looked too good uh, for me from a modeling standpoint, but I did get burned on it, Gil. Well, that's a that's a great segue into who have been the most reliable under umpires when they've called balls and strikes this year. And the answers to that question per covers.com, Corey Blazer, Phil Cuzzy, Trip Gibson the third. Don't want to leave out that he's the third. Bruce Dreckman, Bill Miller, and Brian Knight. Cue your Brian McKnight annual joke here, if you would, Mark. What was your joke yesterday? Oh, no, we have to. If, if we do that, then I have to start these ratings back at one. Oh, there you go. There it is. Mark Borgen, everybody. <laughs> it's Brian McKnight joke. So, but you just mentioned, uh, you just mentioned Bill Miller. There he is. He's been super reliable as an underump this year, and you have him historically as a underump, yes? Yeah, he's he's historically the base winner, number one under umpire, Jeez. 118 games over the last four years, so decent sample size. And then you mentioned a couple of them that are kind of in the in my top ten unders. Uh, Cuzzy's number two. Cuzzy, yeah. And and then Trip Gibson. And it's funny you said the third. You know, I don't know what's wrong with me, Gil. On on my modeling, I don't have the third, and I just have Trip Gibson. I mean, wow. gosh, you. I'm slipping in my old age you here, really but are. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's in the top, uh, I guess, twelve. So though, yeah, three names there that 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 are under that are consistently under. Gilbert. And so that's you know we're doing a Q two derivative show right now, but that's to, to have those historical numbers is key here because what it shows you is that it, it really is when it comes to Miller and when it comes to to Cuzzy, this is no aberration. So it's the opposite of what I talked about with the reliably overarms historically, uh, like Marquez, Alfonso Marquez, who you mentioned which is like apparently their strike zone, Miller's and Cuzzy's, is massive, one would think, just generally speaking. And so the pitcher gets the benefit of the doubt. Or maybe, like as we've seen in baseball this year, the umpiring has just deteriorated. Like each and every year, it seems like the the home plate umpire calling balls and strikes generally in baseball has just gotten worse and worse. We were talking yesterday about the Diamondbacks-Giants game on Saturday was just a joke. Like Merrill Kelly didn't have to be close to the strike zone. It was a strike. Meanwhile, Sean Manaya getting squeezed inside the strike zone. That Mariners Nationals game a couple nights ago, it was eight to four Mariners, but the bases were loaded for the Nationals in the ninth and the pitchers like the strike three called to end the game with the bases loaded was two and a half inches outside of the strike zone. And the Mariners announcers were like, it's a called third strike Mariners win it if you say so. Like it's gotten that bad. So maybe that was a great call. Aaron Goldsmith. Yeah, yes. that was, a, that was a really good call. If you say so. Uh, yeah. And you know, what's interesting. I'm glad I have you because I know you're a big tennis guy and I've, I've, I've wondered this from a challenge standpoint, cause I've seen it done in tennis, uh, but I'm no expert on it, but it seems to me like it's fairly unobtrusive in tennis. Like, Hey, if it's in or out, they'll, they'll challenge it. It'll get reviewed. And it's, you know, right back to, to play. And I'm wondering if you you would be a proponent of having like three challenges for each manager uh, would have that for for ball strike calls. Yes, absolutely. But first of all, the tennis thing changed the entire sport, right? Like, you know, we grew up, men of a certain age, uh, people of a certain age grew up hearing John McEnroe screaming at umpires, Jimmy Connors screaming at umpires, Ilya Nastasi, if, you, if you're even older, right? But McEnroe famously was, you got to be kidding me. Um, that's all out of the game. I mean, now it's not standardized over every tournament, but typically, right, the biggest tournaments, some tournaments don't even have lines people anymore, Mark, right? They just have an umpire just to oversee things, but it's all done electronically. There is absolutely no argument. There are some, there are some where, you know, the players, there has been instances where the players have wondered if the 
you know, if the technology has is precise to the line. I mean, we have seen that, but generally that's an outlier. It's completely changed the game. It's unobtrusive to use your word. It moves it along. No one gets, especially a game that's as mentally focused as tennis, no one gets bent out of shape, generally speaking. I won't say no one, but once in a blue moon it happens, not really regularly. And in baseball, like, enough with the umpire lobby. Like, oh, you can't take balls and strikes away from us. Or if you argue balls and strikes, that's the quickest hook of them all. Like, stop with that shit already, if I may. Like, I mean, it's 2023, for God's sakes. I totally agree with it you, with you. And there's nothing more frustrating than whether you have a fantasy uh, bet or a oh. bet a game. And you see that and you're like, well, wait, I'm seeing this is a this is a ball. And they're calling it a strike. And it's just costing me money. Yes. It's just very frustrating, especially when the when the, the, the draft kings of the world are, are sponsoring Major League Baseball. And, and I, I don't I don't know, like if Major League Baseball took a hard look at it, I think that they'd be like. Hey, we need to change this, but I don't know why they haven't taken a hard look at it, Gil. Well, your your point about that's costing you money, like so that that Giants Diamondbacks game. So I had to bet on the Giants. I'm basically betting the Giants brain dead every single night. Like really, I'm I'm like the analysis is very thin. I'm just like this team's not losing anybody. Like they've got it figured out with their pitching, with their back, you know, forward approach with pitching. It's just unbelievable what Farhan Zaidi and that team are doing. Sort of the evolution of how the Royals you know, did it back to front when they got to two World Series and won one of them in the middle part of last decade into the Rays using an opener. Now the Giants are basically, you know, there were there were there were papers at the MIT Sloan Sports Conference over a decade ago where they're like, if you can figure out the rest, the optimal way to play baseball would be to piecemeal pitchers together every night. And the Giants kind of doing that with three starters. Right. They're just doing that when it's like there's so many games where they're like, you know, two innings here, two innings there. And, and it's working out great for them. But what I was getting back to, I'm sorry, I, I go to on the side with the Giants, but the Giants Diamondbacks game on Saturday, I had the Giants and they're winning. It's I don't remember how much they were winning by. I think they were winning by one run. I had a five inning bet and then a full game bet. And, you know, there's a strike three that excuse me, there's a. uh there's a ball way outside on a Giants batter that gets called a strike, end of inning. We go to the Diamondbacks side of it. So they're down a run. This is in the top of the fifth. There's a strike three from Sean Manaya. I can't remember the batter. It's called a ball. And, of course, the next pitch is a bases clearing, two out, you know, double. And so the, the Diamondbacks go up. Now the Giants, because they're amazing, ended up getting two runs in the bottom half, and it ended up being tied after five. But like I was livid, Mark, after the top of the fifth inning, livid, and and yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. The, these these uh, bad calls are having material ev- uh, uh, consequences in the in the games. And what if you had that guy on fantasy, or what if you what if you had a fantasy team and you're playing against that guy? Right. And so I don't think that. Was, here's two things. Like I don't think the sponsors are real happy with that. I don't think the DraftKings of the worlds want want that to happen. I think that they want as, as clean of a game as possible. And I really think at, at MLB's cores, they want as pure and clean of a game as possible as well. And so I think that there needs to be some, some action taken over the off season as, as far as this goes, but they just, they, they've just been slow to do it. But remember we were talking about the, the video review back when we first started doing this mm-hmm. and, and we didn't think that it would ever happen, but they, they actually changed that. And so think about like how that like, like affects the game, even as a better, like, like last night, uh, there was a, there was an overturn call. They, they called Fletcher from the angels safe at, at first base. I had a bet on the angels, but even though the, the, the call went against me, and this is my point, I felt, Hey, this is okay. That that's the right call. And, right. and, and let's, let's move on. That's right. So I, I think that. I think that it'll be good for, for everybody, the game as a whole. So I'd like to see that. Gil. I mean, even Shohei, right? As great as Shohei is, I don't know if you watched the Angels game last night. He had a great night, both you know hitting two home runs and, and pitching a great game. But he got a bunch of calls to pitching where I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, that worked that worked out nicely for Shohei as well. Uh, there was one other example. Oh, you, you just jogged my memory. Yes, we shouldn't forget that, you know, a decade ago or where I, you know, the timeline escapes me now. But like I distinctly remember, this is more than a decade ago, I think, or maybe it was a decade. My 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 time frame is all jacked up, so I think it's it's more than a decade. When the Yankees were in the playoffs, playing like the Justin Morneau, Joe Mauer twins, so we're talking in the two thousands and in the in the aughts decade. Like I distinctly remember a postseason game at Yankee Stadium, and I'm not making this up. Where I remember having the twins, and either Mauer or Morneau went down the left field line, and. 
the ball was two inches inside the foul line. Like it was a fair ball, should have been a double. And the umpire was like, nope, foul ball. And it stood, right? You're just like, are you kidding me? It brutal. Yeah, I had the same bet. That's funny that you say that. I remember oh. that because I had the same bet. Yes. That's so funny. So you remember it. And, it, and I was yes. livid. And, and you know, in those days, you're like, oh, Sue, too bad. The umpire didn't see it that way. So the fact that we were able to change that, like, why does it take forever to change balls and strikes? It's so dumb. So dumb. Anyway. Yeah, and, the te- and I'll, I'll, I'll give uh, MLB uh, technology a shout out. They're, they're, they're the, the technology that they incorporate with, with pitch effects yes. and, and I mean, it's so good. It's really well done. And let's, let's use it. You guys got it. Let's use it. Okay. We didn't, we didn't anticipate going on that aside, but once again, Marquez, very reliable over ump, Cuzzy and Miller, very reliable under umps and the numbers this year in the first 80 games, roughly back it up. All right. Now let's get to, I used to, I used to compile these on my own first five betting numbers. I don't have time to do it anymore, but Odd Shark, Joe Ostrowski at Odd Shark did it for many years. Now they says the Odd Shark staff, so it might not be Joe, but shout out to him. Shout out to the whole Odd Shark staff for compiling first five money line records. And what I'm curious about here, Mark, as with all of this, is what do you believe to be sustainable, and what do you believe to be just an aberration that will not be sustainable? So the the biggest money winners thus far this year. If you bet this team blindly on the money line each and every first five thus far this year, the number one team is by far the Texas Rangers. You'd be up 17 units betting them every time on the first five. They're 49, 20, and nine. Keep in mind they're pushes in first five. 49, 20, and nine betting first fives. You'd be up 17 units. This parade shark. The Rays would be number two. You'd be up 10 and a half units roughly. And the Astros would be number three. You'd be up over eight and a half units. Rangers, Rays, Astros. By the way, Braves, Marlins, Giants after that. Is, are any of those teams surprising to you? Uh, no, because Texas has been so good offensively. And they have the, the, the widest run differential, the best run differential first five innings. Uh, I did this yesterday. It was 118 run difference uh, in the first five is Texas. But from a sustainability standpoint, uh, you do have to. Gosh, them losing to Grom, how how huge is that? Yet their first is still in first place. It's, it amazes me. So they because Evaldi Evaldi became Degrom. Yeah, yeah. I think Evaldi's sustainable. He's had a hell of a year, and he, it, the stuff it matches the the numbers is, and the advanced numbers as well. But you got to think Haney, Perez, Dunning, Gray. I don't know. You know, I don't know if those guys can can, can hang. I mean, they're uh, so that, they're way ahead in first five numbers, so I I don't think the margin is sustainable. But because I mean, they're just crushing inter like second place is seven units less, right? Like almost seven units less than them, the Rays. But it's Rangers, Rays, Astros. It should be pointed out, by the way, that they're in terms of like if I narrowed it down to how many teams, if you bet them every single day on the first five, how many teams would have gotten you more than two units to the positive per odd sharks numbers. It's a grand total of six teams, Rangers, Rays, Astros, Braves, Marlins, and giants. That's it. Every other team. And this has a lot to do with first five straddle, right? Where you lose more juice um, when you're betting first fives than you are uh, the, the associated full game line, if you will. Um, that's it. That's the list. So it's, it's, you know, I don't know if first fives people are like, Oh, well, starting pitcher so volatile. I'll just bet first fives. It's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah. And, and you're playing into more juice too. So yes. you always gotta, you gotta start there. Uh, and I, I prefer if I can, uh, to play a full game, but you have to have really good bullpen numbers as well. So that's, that's, that's a process. By the way, that. by the way, does the seventh place team surprise you? The seventh place team, first five, is the Cubs. Does that surprise you? You know, it is. It's surprising. I'm looking at their their run differential though. It's 14 in the in the first five, and you know, I'm trying to think it like uh, it's actually pretty good in the second in the second half of the game too. I did first five and last four, and then and, and the Cubs are 14 in first five and 18 in last four. So you know, I, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, Gil. I like this Cubs bullpen. So. Uh, 
that that could be a team mm-hmm. to look at uh, from a division standpoint. Interesting. All right, let's go to the worst teams. What are the worst first five teams? Well, this shouldn't surprise. <laughs> it's the the worst. And like I can imagine, you know, usually when you and I do this, there's some difference between full game and first five, or home and road, or money line and run line. The Royals and A's have been so epically bad that it doesn't matter what we look at. They're just awful, right? So the Royals, let's say you're like, well, I didn't bet them money line, Bizarro. I didn't bet them run line, Bizarro. What would, Bizarro, what would they be first five? Yeah, they'd have cost you 20 and a half units betting them, you know, first five also. They're the worst. Athletics are the second worst, 18.75 units, you know, hemorrhaging to the, uh, in the red, you'd be 18.75 units. Because, you know, the Royals' first five, they're 21, 45, and 12. And the A's are 19, 47, and 14. I mean, they're just awful. Now, these three teams might surprise you to round out the top five. Red Sox, Phillies, Mets, they're all double digits to the negative. First five. Who's the most surprising of those three? The Mets are. You think with yeah, their pitching. Of you know, and so they, they have had some injuries, but, I mean, they – I think they might have the two biggest contracts from a starting pitching standpoint in baseball. And so that is surprising. And I think one of the things that's interesting as I was doing these run differentials was the Mets minus thir- minus 37 run differential in the first five. And then if you look at the last four, they're actually 17 ahead. So quite a, quite a hmm. big bit of difference there with the Mets. That's actually something we should track, by the way. Like we're always, you know, you can bet first five. But you, there's certain places where you can actually bet, I think, afterwards. Todd Wishnev used to track this for us. Like, what teams, sixth inning on, are actually the best in baseball? Like, if you, in, it's an interesting way to look at it because it shows you generally whose bullpens are, are, are better. But, like, you, it was interesting what you said about the first five. The Rangers, it's not so much the pitching. It's just they outslug you. They outhit you. And so, again, they got there however they got there. They're up 17 units. Is it sustainable? Yes. To that extent, I don't know. By the way, the, the other ones that rounded out the worst in terms of the uh, first five bets, so it's Royals worst, Athletics second, Red Sox third worst, Phillies fourth worst, Mets fifth worst per odd Sharks. The top 10 worst first five, rounding them out, sixth White Sox, again over 10 units down, Cardinals seventh. I mean, the Cardinals have just been an abject disappointment thus far. You like the Cardinals though, moving forward. Yes. I think if they can get this, you know, league average pitching from their pitching, which they've done all year, I think that they have, they have a, a, a possibility uh, to, obviously they're going to get better, uh, but they've, they've lost so much equity in that division that I, you know, for me, I think it's the Cubs in that division from a value standpoint. Hmm, interesting. Mariners also, you know, almost nine units down first five Padres over eight units down first five Dodgers over eight units down first five twins over eight units down first five and blue Jays, eight units down first five. So that's the thing about first five inning betting. I mean, it's, it's sort of a PSA for don't think it's that easy. Like I always say that to people like, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, they asked me, what's your favorite sport to bet? It would have been base. You know, I would, I, I used to say baseball, everything else is a distant second. It's not like that for me anymore because starting pitchers get taken out much earlier than they used to. So for me, it's less quantifiable. I'm not as deep in the weeds as you are where you can sustain this. So for me, it's, it's, it's gone a little by the wayside. And a lot of times when I say that people are like, Oh, we'll just bet the first five. Yeah. It's not that simple is what we're showing here. You know, it's just that, the, yeah, you the, know, I think what would, what happen, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe outside of the last five years is you'd have a pitcher that would be bad and they just stay with him. Yeah. would be like, well, he's got a contract and you know, he he'll turn it around. Right. Well, they, these, these, uh, teams, all of them, part way. This guy, if this guy's showing something bad, they're not going to stay with him. So, so that's one thing that you got going on. And then it's, it's hard the juggling act. You really got to be able to, to, to balance that. And it's going it, to, and I think moving forward from a handicapping standpoint, it's, I think all these teams are going to go to openers and guys pitching two innings, because like you said earlier yeah. on the show, the, the math, the math makes sense. And so uh, as they see teams succeed with it, like Tampa Bay, like San Francisco, they're going to be like, whoa, we need to, these guys are doing really good with this. Let's, let's change, you know? So yeah, it's going to make bottom, bottom line is going to make handicapping baseball, uh, a, a more detailed process in my opinion. And I know you love that, but like to the mere mortal, that's going to be so much more difficult. Don't you think like the person who's a casual, oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. I had to, yeah, because there's so much to, there's so much 
data that you have to balance. And so like I, I took time out the last couple of years, oh, a lot of time out uh, to, to learn Python programming. And I, I just felt like I needed to do it because the, the, the data is not as easy to process as it used to be, Gil. Man. I, I love it. Like you and me are cut from the same cloth. So the more you talk, the more fascinated I am by it. I really wonder like how many people are like you at this point. Cause I, I wonder how much like baseball modelers, I wonder what the attrition of that has been through the last five years. Like there's gotta be a, a, a huge percentage layoff where people are just like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Because there's just such a, such an available amount of data that you, mm -hmm. uh, it's it's really hard. It's it's hard to balance it. It's hard to say. Well, okay. Well, this is great data. It looks good. Is it descriptive? Is it predictive? And the, the the fact that it was it used to be, I think the teams would hold on to players, so you'd get more of a sample, I guess, of of either good, bad, or indifferent. You'd have a bigger sample. But but as these teams are seeing things, then you don't have time to like, okay, well, this is, this is the true talent level of this guy. Yeah. Then be able right. to ride it a while. So it, it's just, it's just very changeable. Like, like, uh, the, the data is moving fast, I guess is another the way data to say is it. moving fast is a great way of putting it because, you know, at the risk of sounding like we're some of the Vegas old timers. Cause you know, even when we got, you know, we were doing our baseball handicapping. We'd always hear stories of, Oh, it was so much easier back in our day. Right. Even 10 years ago, man, all I all we'd have to do is go to a Fangraphs page. And we have the podcast to prove this, right? And we would just look at, you know, hacks like E minus F, right? The ERA minus fielding independent. We would see BABIP. We would see the home run to fly ball rate. We would see all the basic stats that we needed, fielding independent XFIP. And just based on a Fangraphs page, we could exploit baseball. You talk about like pitchers who sucked that they would stick with and we could exploit that. It was also like, I remember, let's just go back nine years, when Jacob deGrom was having his first year with the Mets, 2014. So it was before he was really Jacob deGrom, right? Before he was winning his Cy Youngs. And I just remember that summer backing him over and over and over again at really favorable prices, like dog and short favorite prices. And you just remember, you're like, that couldn't exist today, right? Because someone who comes out now, People know about them so quickly, and those numbers don't last more than two or three starts tops. So it's it's more difficult. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember, you know, to get to, to get to what you did, there's Derek Lowe. Like you, you yes. kept betting against Derek Lowe, and they kept hit, throwing him out there. They wouldn't. Let, that wouldn't happen this, right now. They wouldn't he'd be, happen. He'd be done. We and we yeah. don't. We almost had. We almost had to pour out a forty when they decided to, to send him down. We're like, <laughs> oh, that was fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. that was fun. I'm so glad. I'm so sad that they, they took him away from us. All right. And here's the last thing. First innings. Now, a lot of people like to bet first innings. Uh, Jason Weingarten and I, for years on the show, on a numbers game and, and on the podcast, we've talked about betting yes, no's. Uh, yes, will a run be scored? No, a run will not be scored in the first inning. Now, what's interesting is that when we used to do it, it felt like we were the only ones. Obviously, we weren't the only ones, but we were one of very few people doing it. And there was a method to what we were doing. And I said many years on the show, I said, it's the one thing I will not reveal the secret sauce to what has been fascinating to watch is how there's been a sort of cottage industry developed now on yes, first run inning and no first run inning and how people gravitate to the no, which is not what you're supposed to do, by the way. So a lot of sports books sort of exploit that and they promote those bets and they're promoting it in a way that is kind of leading you astray. Um, but one of the things that uh, we have always tracked, and it is not exactly that key to betting yes, no first inning runs, but can inform your bigger wagers, is how pitchers perform right out of the gate. Just the first frame, the very first inning. And so what we do here, and this is proprietary on this show, you won't hear it anywhere else, this is minimum 40 plate appearances. I said it at 40, Mark, uh, through 80 games. Maybe you want to adjust that. But I said at minimum 40 plate appearances against. This is opposing hitters on base percentage. The worst starting pitchers in baseball in the first inning this year. Jack Flaherty of the Cardinals. Wow, I wouldn't have expected that before the season. 480 on base against in the first inning. Luke Weaver of the Reds, 470 on base against. Then you have uh, Ronzi Contreras of the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, third worst. 
Ryan Weathers of the Padres, fourth worst, and then Luis Ortiz, another pirate, another bucko, fifth worst in terms of the first inning. Do you do you run those numbers? Do you have others in there? Oh, I, I've got they're consistent with what you have, okay. um, yeah, top top to bottom. But uh, uh, I'm just trying to see if there's like a bigger name down down the down the line that. Uh, Lance Lynn is on, is, you know, is a top 10 worst. Alec Manoa, no surprise to anybody. He's just had a terrible season. He's a top 10 worst first inning. Uh, when you get to top 20, I mean, Zach, Verlander's up there. Verlander is like 30. I got to, got to see exactly how many he's like down the list. He's like a 370 on base percentage, but his Woba's 0.458, which is fifth is the Woba's. Uh, fifth worst in in uh, in baseball. Yeah, so, so, so yeah. Where, where did I pass Verlander? Where did he go? Ver, yeah, so Verlander is in the in the worst. Yeah, he's in the worst forty. Like names like Wainwright, Verlander, Carrasco, Syndergaard, Corbin Burns, Pablo Lopez, Max Scherzer. They're all in the bottom. They're they're all in the bottom forty. They're like between thirty and fortieth worst. And Verlander, to your point, three seventy on base against first inning. That's that's surprising to me, and then, you know the other one that's surprising. Uh, Twenty eight is Alex Cobb because Alex Cobb's been good. Alex Cobb is in there as well. That's right. So, and Verlander. Remember, there was a time where Verlander even admitted this is like way back when I'd say not quite ten years ago, but I remember when Verlander would admit publicly. I don't know what it is, but I'm never ready in the first inning. I only settle down in the second. And he used to say, he goes, he goes, maybe I should just start warming up earlier, right? And then he won another Cy Young or whatever since then. But that used to be a thing with him that he sucked in the first inning. And here we are again, and he's sucking in the first inning. So That's interesting. I'll have to look at his historical numbers on that. that that'll yeah. give me food for thought for today, Gil. Okay. Good, 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 uh, good poll on that. All right. And the best in the first inning thus far this year, Hunter Green is your best. 136 opposing on base against first inning. And then after him comes a sort of who's who. You Darvish, Jesus Lusardo, Framber Valdez, Sonny Gray, Christian Javier. I guess Joe Ryan fell after last night's performance. I don't see him anymore, but he was in there, but he's not there anymore. But anyway, all those guys, fantastic in the first inning thus far this year, minimum 40 plate appearances against. A lot of those sound pretty sustainable to you, I would imagine. Yeah, those are those are pretty good pitchers that you just mentioned. I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Graham Ashcraft. I have it two sixteen. I don't know where you have. He's top ten. Graham he's he's tenth two sixteen exactly. Graham yeah. Ashcraft. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're on that. And then uh, this one's interesting to me. This this pitcher's interesting to me because I follow the Angels a lot. Reed Detmers is is top ten uh, two twenty as I have him. Uh, and I think that guy's sustainable. I think they, that could be the Angels' missing piece there. So they could go if Detmers can pitch like he has the last couple times. Uh, they go Otani oh, Detmers. They have to have two legitimate, like you know, top top level. Uh, you yeah. can't compare Detmers with Otani, but you can, you know, if 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 you can just get that kind of production with that lineup, uh, there might be something to that Angels team. Gil. Yeah. The other thing is like you see when you delve into these kind of when you get more granular like this because we talked about how. When you, okay, starting pitchers, if you bet these starting pitchers blindly, they would have been the biggest hemorrhagers of money thus far this year. Well, Blake Snell was on the bottom 10, and we quickly said, well, he's pitching great now. He won't last year long. First innings, he's top 15 best first innings. You know who else is top 15 best first innings and is having a horrible year by any measure? Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins. So you do see, you know, when you get a little granular, like, okay, maybe this is what's going to win out in the end. If they start games this well, like, you know, again, this is only first time. This is not only is it only first time through the order. It's oftentimes first three batters. Right. Um, so a lot of these guys, you have to look at their attrition second time through third time through like Otani. They were talking about last night. Otani is great. First time through and third time through, but he's not as good second time through, which is really interesting, right? Usually, usually doesn't work that way. That's interesting, but you know what? You know what? You, I think you 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 have touched upon something that's actionable. If you can find somebody, like I'm looking at Strider, and he's like 250 in 25th place. But like, I don't have Strider as a 25th pitcher by my ratings. I have him number one by a lot. So maybe he's a guy that you wait and you bet some live stuff on after that first inning, and 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 you could you could compare the guys prowess, I guess, in the first inning to, to the rest of the game and maybe come up with some, some good, good live uh, ideas. So uh, that's what, that's one of the beauties of doing this show with you, Gil is 
like you inspire thought on me, which is cool. I mean, it, I love it. it. it I mean, it reveal great. it reveals yeah. stuff. Like we don't do this. That's why we do it every quarter because it's sort of we like to be surprised by what we find. Because you're into baseball as much as anybody, and even you are surprised by certain things. Let's end with something you just said because that that's basically the derivatives we wanted to go through all the way from umps to fifth uh, first fives to first innings. You know, stuff that's more widely available, stuff that's less widely available. But you bring up Spencer Strider. So I opened a numbers game this morning because of Otani's great night last night, both hitting and pitching. And I talked about how Otani, I mean, he's minus 1,400 to win AL MVP. Only, only an injury or a trade to the National League could beat him now. So then I was like, okay, well, could he win the AL Cy Young? He's 11 to 1. He's the fifth shortest shot. And you have guys like McClanahan, uh, who is the shortest shot above him, and three other guys, like Valdez, for instance. And my my theory was, you know, he does lead in three big categories, right? Like on-base, excuse me, uh, batting average against, and his strikeout rate are two of them, just off the top of my head. Um, but would they, vo- would they vote him Cy Young if they're going to give him the MVP? And my thought is, humans are humans. They're dumb. They probably won't, right? Like, he would have to just go ridiculous, and Tom Tango, who's got the most tried and true, Tom Tango, who invented fielding independent pitching, for instance, FIP, FIP, Tom Tango has the most reliable Cy Young point system there ever was, which has nothing to do with advanced stats, right? I won't bore you with the formula, but it's like the simplest formula for coming up with it. And the last six years, 12 different Cy Youngs, AL and NL, he has picked seven out of the last 12 perfectly. He's got, he's got McClanahan as his top Cy Young guy right now. He's also the shortest in the market in the American League. The interesting part comes in the National League because I went through this and we'll end on this. You brought up Strider. I went through the exercise yesterday where I went through, I'm like, okay, I was talking about Otani. I figured Otani's not going to get Cy Young. What about the National League? National League is far more fascinating because when I went through the numbers and what I care about is ERA juxtaposed against FIP and XFIP, but also your expected ERA, I care about, you know, your war, your win-loss record a little bit, but your K rate, your walk rate, uh, batting average against, whip. Like, I'm going through all these different numbers. And when I go through that, really the guy that ends up leading in most or is just about to lead in even more is Strider. And Strider's plus 750. And I, I texted Jason last night. I'm like, how is Spencer Strider plus 750? He shouldn't be. There's no way. I'm going to bet that tomorrow, meaning today. And I think I am going to bet that, Mark. And it sounds like you kind of agree with me. Before you answer, I just want to add the Tom Tango point, though. So Tango does it much simpler. You know who his number one NL Cy Young guy is right now? I'll give you five guesses. I hope it's Strider. It's not. Uh, I don't know. I, this is a market where I'm like, I, I'm with you. I'm like perplexed on it. It's like Strider's the best pitcher. Strikeouts. Bats in baseball. Wins, losses, which I did a little bit of a study last year on the Cy Young. And wins, losses, and strikeouts are really two of the key drivers. Yes. And he's he's there too. So maybe so, Kershaw. Maybe Kershaw. Nope. So the market right now has, well, they use the DraftKings numbers. Zach Gallen is plus 165 to win the National League Cy Young Award. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is plus 425. Strider's plus 750. Which to me is just like, man, I, I, it's such bang for your buck on that. Logan Webb of the Giants is nine to one. Zach Wheeler's nine to one. It's none of those guys. It's Marcus Stroman of the Cubs, according to Tango right now, who's 20 to one. And again, based on his super simple formula, and I'll try to find that here as I speak, it has nothing to do with those advanced stats that I just talked about. Um, so he loves, again, what he is basically getting at is, you and I can talk to we're blue in the face about, well, yeah, I mean, Spencer Strider's strikeout percentage is 38.2%. I mean, that's the most incredible thing we've ever seen in our lives. But it doesn't matter to the average Cy Young voter. They're like, I'm sorry, what's his uh, batting average against and what's his win-loss record? Like that kind of thing. What are they looking at, ERA? That's Here, terrible. Here's that's dog. so terrible. I'm going to give you the tango formula for Cy Young, and you're just going to laugh. And then he's going to laugh back in your face because he's going to be like, I've hit seven of 12. And not only have I hit seven of the last 12, but I almost give you the exact order every time. So here's his, here's his formula. Let me see. Call up my, my uh, laptop uh, juiced out, but I'm doing it on my phone. So it's taking a second, but here it is. The the Tom Tango Cy Young points formula. I know boys and girls, you didn't think there'd be math on this show, but it's really simple. It's innings pitch divided by, Two minus earned runs, 
So that's a fraction, right? Innings pitched is the numerator. Two minus earned runs is the uh, denominator. Plus strikeouts divided by 10 plus wins. Exactly what you were just saying. Strikeouts and wins. They matter. They, they, I think the strikeouts and wins do too. I guess the earn, I guess he's got earned runs in there. So he does I mean, have that earned hurt, runs. That would hurt Strider a little bit because he yes. has, he has given up more. So, ah, uh, gosh, I just, I can't see it. How about watching both guys and saying, oh my God, look at this guy. Like exactly. you watch Strider pitch. It's just, oh. un, it's, it's, it, it is impressive. And I've watched a lot of pitchers. Uh, in my day, starting when I was nine years old, Nolan Ryan, who I love, and he's a great pitcher, but like, I, gosh, I hate to say this skill, but I think Strider's better than Nolan Ryan. I well, really do. So. so, so here's the thing. The comp is exactly great minds. The comp for Strider based on his high strikeout rate, uh, the, the low batting average against is Nolan Ryan. Historically, you know what Nolan Ryan never did Mark never won a Cy Young. Never. It's one of the most crazy, you know, that yes. is such a crazy number. Wow. wow. Never won a Cy Young. Most no hitters in the history of baseball. Seven. He had the most one hitters. He had the most two hitters. Like this dude was out of control. By the way, great documentary recommendation on Netflix facing Nolan. Never won a Cy Young. Why didn't he win a Cy Young? Because he had a really high walk rate. And so kind of two does Strider. But I'm true story, but I think that the wins are, are important. So I yes. think that the wins he, he played on some crappy teams. Uh and, and he did. The Braves are probably the best team in baseball they this are. year. So yeah, that's gonna help. That's but, exactly yeah. right. They're the best team in baseball, and he's nine and two strider. So I'm going out. I'm I don't have it in pocket yet, but I'm going out and I'm betting him plus seven fifty today. The only other baseball bets that I have in pocket awards wise, I have Luis Arias of the of the Miami Marlins. I got him at eighty to one to win National League MVP, the entire theory being that if he hits 400, they got to give it to him. Now, I know that's a debate, but my whole thing was, and why I got him, by the way, he's 25 to 1 now. My whole thing was, in 2012, you and I used to do a podcast at the time. I don't know if you'll remember this conversation. It was a debate between Miguel Cabrera and Mike Trout. For those who have listened to Betting Dork and Beating the Book for years, you'll remember this. It was a debate between Cabrera and Mike Trout. And my point in 2012 was, they haven't had a triple crown in 45 years, right? Carl Yastrzemski in 1967. You cannot talk about something for 45 years, this hallowed baseball thing, this triple crown, and then decide arbitrarily when someone finally does it, which Miguel Cabrera did, oh, we, liked Mike, we like Mike Trout's newfangled metrics better. No, you have to give it to Miguel Cabrera, and they did to their credit. Now, the next year, you can give it to Trout, you can give it to everybody else you want to, and they did. They give it to Trout the next year. But that year, you had to give it to Cabrera. My thing with, the, with hitting 400, and by the way, Arias is still a huge long shot to get there. As we do this on June 28th, he's hitting 399. But if he hits 400, which hasn't been done since 1941 in Ted Williams 406, and we've had flirtations. George, Bet, George Brett in our childhood, uh, most famously Rod Carew, 390 and 388 respectively. And I know Tony Gwynn hit 394 in the 94 strike season. But if he hits 400... I don't care what you're doing, Ronald Acuna. You have to give it to Luis Arias. That's what I'm going with anyway. I agree with you. I, th I think you're right, Gil. And Acuna's had a hell of a year. I mean, it, it would be a shame for him not to get it. It would be. But I think they'll give it. I think I, I'm with you. I think they'll give it to Arias. And to your point, yes, the Braves are the best, but the Marlins right now are in a wild card position. So if the Marlins also get to a wild card, that would be, you know, another feather in his cap as well. And they would way have exceeded expectations by doing so. The only other thing I have is, and I don't expect to win this, but I have uh, Ellie Dela Cruz at 30 to one to win the national league rookie of the year. Um, Carol Corbin Carroll of the diamondbacks is the big favorite right now. Cruz Dela Cruz is, is four to one at this point, but I don't know if he can get there, but man, is he amazing? What, a, and he, he represents to me why this baseball season has been so awesome so far. Yeah, he's that, that's that's a good point. That that team's been exciting. The Orioles are exciting. There's so many, and and the pitch clock is just. I, I knew it would be good, but not this good. This really makes baseball enjoyable from yes, a, just does. from a, a rhythm standpoint. Uh, the rhythm is great. Do you know? Let's put it this way. Do you know one person, one human being, who has been like, you know what? I really hate this pitch clock. I really liked it when they took all the time in the world. No, 
I, I don't know anybody that's nope. like, oh, I wish it was back back before when Kenley Jansen was doing laps around the infield. <laughs> that's after, right. You know, when Araldis yeah. Chapman would throw one pitch and then take two laps around the uh, the mound before he threw another. Yeah. Nobody wants that. No, and I think it's attracting people who are kind of on the on the on the bubble. I've talked to a couple of people like, oh, this is great. I can watch. I can actually enjoy watching right. baseball. And so it's good. It's it's good. Well, good Mark, job, MLB. Now let's do the strike zone here, dude. Let's do the strike zone. Let's make it perfect. Let's do the strike zone. Um, listen, we used to do Q1, Q2, Q3 on uh, on the podcast side back in the day. We do it on the radio side now. We only kind of do the Q2 on the podcast side. But I always appreciated marketing, and you're right. You were the first podcast guest ever. I will always cherish you for that. I always thank you for that, man. I'm glad we we have uh, sustained it all these years, man. And congratulations on all your success. And people should know, uh, you and Jason Weingarten, who uh, I like to think were I gave birth to on the podcast. You guys do your own show together now. It's great, and, and you've really opened a lot of doors for me personally, Gil. So I thank you for that, and uh, you know. Always, always a pleasure to be on with the voice of sports betting. It's, <laughs> okay. it's wonderful. You know, but, but you really inspire thought. So now I've got a couple different things and it's like, I like oh, it. we should do this more often. We, we really should. should, we should brainstorm more often. It's great. Love it. And again, Mark's appearances on a numbers game every Tuesday uh, on VSIN, the sports betting network. Mark, thank you. Appreciate it. Ba- at base winner, base winner.com, the base winner podcast. How often are you doing base winner podcast now that you're doing the bet us show with Jason? We haven't done many this year. I think we've done two so far this year because I'm, it's every day that I'm, that people, you know, can interact with me. That's one cool thing about the show too, is like people can ask questions and I, I really enjoy yes. that part of it. I know, I know Fezzik's, uh, Fezzik's I'll, I'll, I'll in there. Asking. Yeah. Fezzik's in there. He's in there. Sure. Okay. Say, finish your thought. We'll go. What were you saying there at the end? Yeah, I'll probably I'll probably kick out a couple more podcasts just from a technical standpoint. Uh, I like to to talk about the technical side on on the podcast because uh, uh, the the host Scott uh, he he's he's a he's actually a, a programmer by trade, so we get more technical on those podcasts. Gil. Okay, cool. Mark, appreciate it, man. Mark Borchard, everybody, thank you so much. Um, Wimbledon podcast on Friday. Um, but hope you uh, got something out of this food for thought for a bet today. Maybe not a bet today, maybe a bet uh, for the future in Major League Baseball. Thank you, as always, for listening. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.